0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Ethics in football, we dug
0: ourselves a hole. Is it right or wrong to smash a player's skull? Hey, no easy now it's time to play that banjo. Football's our favorite, but won't you please take note? We see it's got some problems, we're all in the same boat. Reckoning with football's past, I reckon you better paddle fast.
2: Welcome to Banjo College Football. I'm your host, Kevin Paul, joined as always by my uh, partners in legal activity, Andrew Stevens and Brian Scott Rippy. Fellas, how are we?
3: I got a ticket for uh, operating a cell phone while my car was on, so I am not uh, partaking in legal activities over the past couple of weeks. How about well, you,
2: Rippy? A- Andrew, I saw you 12 hours ago. When did you get this ticket? No,
3: I got this ticket in the city of Atlanta, Georgia uh, last week where there apparently is a law where you cannot have your cell phone in your hand while your car is on. Now, while I understand the premise of the rule, um, I was sitting at a red light with the GPS in my hand when an unmasked police officer on a motorcycle decided to come and tell me that i needed to pull off the road i think that it made a lovely case for my uh abolition of the police uh shtick that i think that we've all been on for the past uh i don't know 10 days 10 months 10 years whatever but um other than that it's been pretty good rippy how about you that's
4: interesting because they have that law now i believe in memphis and it's interesting because i don't think they either if they have it in Mississippi, they don't enforce it. But I, my dad, I think, got one of those about nine months back, like driving back from work in Memphis. And like, I feel like that's one of those things where, like, the principle of the law, like, I get it, but at the same time, that screams like quota meter all over it. I don't even think that's a word. But like, if they're like into the month and they don't have enough tickets or whatever, like, I'm gonna get this guy using his cell phone at a red light.
3: I'll tell you what, I do not think it was a coincidence that I got the ticket on July 29th. I was gonna say
4: <laughs> <laughs> part of the lighting here. So that makes sense. Yeah, I remember,
3: I remember at home like uh driving like driving in high school, I would have to go through like a different school's school zone to to get to our high school. And every every like the last week of the month, they were like. Set your shit at twenty miles an hour and do not go any further because like people getting pulled over at 23, 24 miles an hour going through school zones because it's July fucking or August 30th and they gotta they gotta hit those numbers.
4: Speaking, Speaking of hitting numbers, lot, guys, we do have football and we like have to know how it's gonna work. Yeah.
2: So uh, numbers,
3: um I don't really know where to begin with this because uh, based on my East Coast travels this time, we, we have had a little bit of a lapse in reporting, but there's also kind of seemed to be, um, I don't know, a, a lapse in fucking judgment. What what the fuck is going on right now? So I,
2: for, for those who may not know just yet, uh, earlier today, the Big Ten released um, their tentative schedules for the 2020 football season. Um, they agreed upon you know, an all-conference schedule, 10 games per team, uh, but they are starting the season September 5th, which is a month from today, and that's kind of incomprehensible. I understand if you think for some reason football can get played, but there's no universe where they can play football in a month, right? Like, am I going crazy or what, what's going on here? If
4: the, if the NCAA had not come out and set their amended preseason practice guidelines literally 12 hours before saying you can have padded practice or whatever, like actual real football practice, fall camp, for the lack of a better phrase, even though that's one of the dumber phrases we use in the media, August 17th, as opposed to, you know, like starting this Friday when it was supposed to start, then I could see it. But now that you're having to start August 17th, this makes no sense. I'm just going to put my hand up. This is not happening. Like, if they're going to start their season, fine, but it's going to be with everyone else on September 26th or somewhere in that neighborhood. There's no way this is happening September 5th.
3: Yeah, as um, a man that quit his job yesterday because of um, lackluster coronavirus protocols at a school he worked at, I I can sure as shit tell you that Mm -hmm. there is not a single way any of this stuff is going to have like the two groups of people that you're dealing with right here. And, and I, I have this weird thing to where like, I feel like high schools are the only place where you can like in general operate any sort of like maybe potentially socially distance protocol. It's not going to work, but like, so I work at a, I work at a K through eight or pre-K through eight, like elementary middle school. You have kids there that, like, don't have they, – they can't understand what is going on here. And then you have kids in college that are kind of just going to blow by it because they don't have any oversight. Like, at least in high school, like, you have people who understand the severity of this problem if you can teach it to them and still have, like, parental – now, granted, their parents might not believe this is a real thing, but you have some sort of oversight to, like, maybe potentially keep them – in line a little bit with these college kids you have 18 year olds 19 year olds no oversight I think every single one of us knows what the average college town looks like in the first three weeks of school
2: yeah. classes
3: really aren't re- especially if you're doing some weird mix of online and in-person classes you're just gonna have kids think that they're going back to party
4: Oh Miss is 90 percent online 10 percent in
2: person that's incredible you it's-
3: know the You know, the amazing part about this, like mixed online versus in-person learning is like there's an argument to be made that that's probably the worst thing you can do because not all, like, like for the younger kids. So you're still sending them to school for 16 hours a week together. So you're still exposing them in person and not to mention when they're at home, their parents might need child care. They might need something else to help them. So like you're bringing in people to then like add to this problem. So if the goal here is to see as few people as possible while still learning, you are actually like increasing every single person's like personal bubble here.
2: It, it, sure. it, it's insane to think about because that point about the first three weeks on a college campus and in a college town is that's probably the best possible point. I, you cannot expect college students to adhere to any of this because you can set as many rules as possible. You can threaten as many penalties as you want. But at the end of the day, this is just a group of – 30,000 people ages 18 to 22, all within the same. And horny. You know, they mi- all,
3: they're all horny.
2: In the same 10 mile radius. It, it is literally impossible to fathom. I cannot imagine that it's going to happen. And I, I think it was Bill Conley who said this on Twitter. The Obviously, if you don't have students on campus, but you have the athletes on campus, then it takes away the whole student athlete facade. It's safer to not have students on campus and to just have the football team. If football is that big of a pri- priority for you, you just have the football players and no one else on campus. Well, you just knew
4: exactly where I was gonna go as well, in the sense like if you want to tie this into the North American like I say North American, Canada seems to be doing a better job. American sports landscape. <laughs> like, if you're looking at what's working and what's not, bubbles work. Like to 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 their to the NBA's credit, as silly as the bubble idea seemed, I remember you know, I, I, I saw a Dan Wolken column get like troll retweeted by some account the other day about talking about how the bubble was a stupid idea. Well, props to them because this is working flawlessly. I don't know if you all have been watching the games, but one, the games are awesome. Two, no one tested positive for the coronavirus. And three, this whole on-campus bubble thing seems to be working flawlessly. And then you go to baseball and it's just a disjointed mess. So like you have a clear – and hockey seems to be the same way, right? The bubble works. So like what works, yes. what doesn't work is very clear at this point. And so college football, if it wants to happen, probably going to need to go to some sort of bubble scenario. And you know, at the end of the day, you're going to have to acknowledge that these dudes aren't normal students. Like, that, like there's so many forces not to be pulling in too many directions at once. But the name, image, and likeness thing is basically acknowledging that these guys aren't normal students. They deserve to be paid you know, a fraction of the money they bring in. The whole coronavirus, if you want to have a season in 2020, requires you acknowledging these guys aren't normal students. They deserve to be compensated in some form uh, because they're taking all the risk. Like All of this is trending in one direction, but on the coronavirus front, the bubble has to happen or some sort of form of it. And if you're not going to do a real bubble, is there any way to insulate these guys to online-only classes, keep them in facility, pray to God they don't go out and see what happens? Because that seems like their only hope. If they just go by the seam of their pants and they say this is normal, like, you know, just – do What you normally do, then they're screwed. This is not working.
3: So, I th- KP and I were talking about this last night, and so I th- there are, I think, I-, I guess, three overall points that that I kind of want to make in regards to this. First, I think that you end up where you obviously you. I think the schools are debating right now. Is it cheaper for us to lose out on the entirety of one season or to pay athletes basically in perpetuity? Because the moment you pay them for one coronavirus season or whatever, like you're not close. You're not getting that tube back in the tooth or the toothpaste back in the tube. And so I I think you really do have like very fucked up moralistic internal battling of like, You know what? We we never get free labor back if we go about this way. So it might just be cheaper saying, fuck it, we're going to cancel this one season as opposed to only having the football team on campus. Second, the the bubble point is completely correct because KP and I were talking about this yesterday. You kind of have two options right now if you want to operate sports. You can either A, not play them in America, or B, you can play them in America in a bubble. With the MLB, it has been shown. With the summer camps in Georgia – like – If you have a fucking brain, it has been shown that like increased travel and increased interaction is only going to end up with people participating in this thing you're trying to produce getting the coronavirus. And when you have all sort of varying levels of risk, you're going to... God forbid, but, like, you are going to have someone die from this. Like, you are going to – we are going to wake up, and it's like, oh, shit, Mike Matheny died. I don't even know if he's still the fucking manager of the Cardinals. But, like, someone is going to, like ne- – sorry, Mike Matheny, if I just hypothetically killed he's you. The
4: Orioles Royals manager now. He switched sides of the state.
3: Okay, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. So I haven't, I haven't watched a nine-inning baseball or a complete baseball game since the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. But the – and sort of my – the. I don't even know where I was going with the, the last point, but the the biggest issue I think that you're going. Oh, oh, here it was. KP and I were talking about just the SEC. If you just talk about the SEC, so you have 85 scholarship guys per team. You have probably at least 15 coaches that are going to be operating between on field and in booth. You have God knows how many analysts, you have equipment staff, you have training staffs. Like you were talking minimum, 150. And this is not including any person that it takes to clothe, feed, house, any of this to these people. You're talking about minimum 150 to 200 per team. I have no idea how you are going to potentially try and institute a 2,500-person bubble anywhere. Like, the NBA, for the most part, like it's traveling parties of like 35 that all fit on one plane together. Like that is supremely different just from the way and the nature that football operates. And so I don't know how you end up doing anything that isn't going like, like if, if the, even if the sec plans on starting a bubble in or, or starting in six or seven weeks, what the fuck do you do? Like if you were going to say, like, where do you start with a bubble? Where do you put it? How do you implement this? Where has enough football fields for teams to be able to adequately like practice? How do you set up like like all like the TV stuff for the NBA worked because it's literally at Disney? All they had to do was retrofit a little bit of stuff. And they have seemingly a lot more money at their hands than just the SEC. So I, I I'm at a loss for how. Anything other than like we said, Georgia loses by thirty-two in Week One to Bama, and then the season gets canceled.
4: Yeah, I don't. uh, I don't think it's like entirely possible to do a full-on bubble for college football. I say that it might be, but like I suggested, could you do something to where you have all of your games in Birmingham and Atlanta, and you have like the those like whatever the teams on that side of the conference are like geographically? Because I'm not going to say east versus west because you have Missouri, but could you do like one or two central locations
2: close by to each other and just make it close? I, I don't know. I'm just throwing out. Ideas. The, the The issue is there's is that there probably are enough college football fields in the and you can have almost regions. So take Atlanta to Athens. There's a lot of high school fields in between there. There's Georgia Tech's field, which I mean, if they're being a partner, they can allow for two or three games out the season be played there. Um, you know, there's Kennesaw State. There's there's a lot of places in that corridor. And same from Birmingham to Tuscaloosa. There's a million high schools in the Birmingham area. Uh, and then going down to Tuscaloosa, It you could have these regions. But then again, Birmingham to Tuscaloosa is about a 56-mile ride. Atlanta to Athens is what, about 70 miles, Andrew? Yeah, less. So, so 60 to 70 miles. So even then, the only way it can work in football is if you have two separate regions separated by 50 to 70 miles. And then you still,
3: I mean, and the schedules still don't like every team is playing all but three other teams in the conference. Like, Georgia at some point is going to have to figure out somewhere to play Missouri. If KP drives across or flies across the country and still cannot manage to end up in a place with decent internet. Um, so, again, the good thing about this is I guess we're five episodes in and we need to start uh, developing some sort of recurring jokes and or bits. And so I figure if we just cut out every 13 minutes and have to do some sort of intros, it'll it'll endear ourselves to the listeners a little bit more. Um, but I think he, the last thing that KP heard us talking about was, essentially, M- Missouri and Georgia are going to have to play each other at some point. I have no idea how you plan on, like, where... it it doesn't benefit like the weird thing is it doesn't benefit either team to both track like like it almost benefits you to remain playing home games because like I don't think it would be safer to have both Georgia and Missouri travel to a neutral location like I feel like it would be smarter to have just one party travel to the other and have that other party staying at home but then again like what I think is ultimately just going to happen is stupid college football boosters are just going to use this as an opportunity to like continue building their football only facilities. Like, I'm sure y'all have seen this in a lot of these schools where. Not only do you have your practice facility and your workout room and your nutrition thing next to your practice fields and everything, but, like, they're starting to build dorms on top of it to where they want kids only staying. It's not the worst idea in the world, but it really is, like, back to what Rippy's point was saying earlier, it is really emphasizing that, like, these are not normal students. And so these are not people that are just you, – you can – pick out of the regular student body. I mean, these are extremely uh, unique and valuable members to each particular community. And so I have a fear that they are not going to do anything about this in terms of actually benefiting the players. They're just going to look at this as a reason to generate more booster money to be able to insulate the football team even further without actually like tangibly compensating them.
4: Yeah, and uh, like if you look at things they're going to do to try to keep the, the guys safe, I don't, I, it doesn't seem their testing protocols are anywhere near as strict as the NBAs or any of these other professional sports leagues. And I don't know if that's a cost. Like, I genuinely don't know. I don't know if that's a cost thing or them just not wanting to spend the money. I genuinely don't know. I mean, everywhere seems strapped for cash right now because they spend it all so they don't have to pay the players. But point being, I think you're going to see an educated guess uh, here is by the time a lot of you listen to this, the schedules will probably be out. And I think you're going to see them revamped be, like in a way that, like for starters, I don't think the Egg Bowl necessarily is going to be on Thanksgiving night because I think you're going to see at the beginning of these 10-game schedules as minimal travel as possible. I think they're going to front-load it to where the first month of the season, as bad as it is, they're going to eliminate as much travel as possible. So from an Ole Miss perspective, that probably means – bama auburn state lsu even though that's like a six-hour bus ride but you kind of get my point as close as possible um so you're going to see some kind of games be played where you're not accustomed to see them playing but like outside of that they don't really seem to have that much of a concrete plan to keep the dude safe uh kind of adding on to your point about um football only facilities and then the other part of this i don't think you can go off what the nfl's doing here in the sense that like one the nfl is probably going to start before them but two, like as pro bubble as everyone should be, if there's one sport that could probably do it without a full on central campus bubble, it's probably the NFL because you're at the facility pretty much sun up to sundown every day. When you're traveling in the NFL, you have a walkthrough on Saturday, get on a jet, go to the hotel, play the football game, get back on the jet and go home. Like you don't go anywhere. There's not an opportunity for guys to go out really hardly at all. You can pretty much mandate that. And you're only doing it eight times a year, as opposed to like MLB and NBA travel. It's like there's not a good model for them to go off of. And two, the safety protocols, which kind of leads into the Pac-12 thing, it just doesn't seem that concrete, which makes people skeptical.
2: Folks, if you're hearing that right, Rip, if you're hearing that right, Rippy is now advocating for college football to only be 32 teams. And he (laughs) (laughs) Rip Rip wants to kill the group of five.
4: Where this is where this is going. The Power Five is going to go on its own because you telling me in these ten game schedules, say television revenue skyrockets because you're going to ten game SEC revenue. Are these boosters and these not boosters? Are these schools really going to want to go back to an eight game schedule if the TV revenue is higher? Are they really going to want to go pay these Group of Five schools for buy games when they don't have to? I don't think you're going back if this happens.
3: Yeah, the the. It really just does. I think the more and more we we go into this, and there always had to sort of be this impetus fat, like there had to be some sort of inflection point that really made it like, oh shit, like. Power Five football is breaking away from the NCAA in some capacity at some time. We didn't really know what it was going to be. We, I think we obviously knew at the end of the day it was going to be some sort of labor dispute issue because these issues have been bubbling up literally since the inception of the NCAA. The NCAA was created to have issues like this fester. Um, But I, I don't foresee a scenario in which you don't, within the next 10 years, don't essentially just have minor league football teams on all of these campuses where people are allowed to make money from that and also attend school. Because like we've talked about earlier, the schools have the NCAA bent over a barrel just on infrastructure alone. Like not, not, not even in name recognition or licensing in that, but like Fuck off. The NCAA ain't going to go build Sanford Stadium somewhere. They're not going to be able to recreate any sort of game day experience that they can't drum up. Like, the NCAA doesn't have anything. They're just a money suck. Like, the only thing that they provide, like, for a while, the only thing they provided was organization and legitimacy. Well, now that every other organization has PR staffs and, 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 protocols and operational like like every single athletic department operates like a full-fledged business right now to where you don't need the NCAA to come in and run operations standard across the board because guess what Georgia doesn't want to operate like these other schools Bama doesn't want to operate like these other schools they want to do it bigger and better and I think under this whatever new scenario they might be kind of allowed to do what they want more which I would imagine, would only further them wanting to separate from the NCAA.
2: The NCAA's only uh, big advantage that they have now is that, as as it stands currently, the March Madness TV mm-hmm. deal is run through the NCAA. But as we said, if the Power Five breaks off and does their own thing, Turner is just going to pay that money to whatever organization is set right. up. It, 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 they don't pay it because it's the NCAA. They pay it. Because they get Kansas and Duke in an elite eight game,
3: yeah, and and they'll still have it. Exactly, they'll still have Kansas and Duke. I, I mean, the schools in all of this they will make more money if they don't go through the NCAA. And I think that now that they have started to realize that, as if the NCAA doesn't give us a cut, but here's the problem. They're not founding this. They're not founding this new league upon some sort of like great moral compass. Like they're not going to be breaking away because they're like the players have been getting screwed over for too long, and we want to do something right. No, they're saying we don't give a shit about continuing to pay the players. We just want to make sure that our cut isn't still going to the NCAA.
4: And the way they pay the players is no longer under the table and in a black market. They are eliminating the black market. Like they already pay these dudes like not nearly what they're worth, but like it eliminates the black market in that sense. And you don't have to get popped with some stupid show cause and five year investigation where your football coach questions, the guy's religion and core values. If you get caught doing so, so like there's no like <laughs> that. will be not in the oil. It just eliminates all of that stuff. So I think you know, this is all this is headed. And this probably is a pretty good segue into the PAC 12 stuff. Right. Because like, They've kind of had what is it? United we stand. Is that the campaign? Is that what it's called? United together. Yeah,
3: yeah. If if you just heard that it was uh, Nick Rolovich taking out his his punter behind the shed and killing him, the old Yeller style.
4: <laughs> and so. some of these demands are they make sense and they should have happened long ago. One of the ones that stood out to me was the health care. So like I have we have a guy in the, our the Ole Miss media group whose son is the center on the football team. And he tore his ACL after his fresh year, and he was talking about how, hey, like, the, his surgeries aren't over. Like, he's going to have to have two or three more at some point in his life to kind of clean up that knee. But he's on the hook for all of it. So, like, insurance plans, health care, stuff like that should have happened a long time ago. Like, so, yeah. they. Protocols for this season should have happened a long time ago. But then there are also things like the 50 50 revenue split, which are just never going to happen because all other sports that don't make money are going to cease to exist as we know it. And you title nine, I don't even, I'm not going to pretend to be the legal guy that knows where that goes, but I know it's going to be messy and probably a losing cause.
2: It, it, it's like the, was a bad Santa when Bernie Mac just keeps demanding half the entire half. <laughs> negotiation. Half. <laughs> But it's, I mean, I think it's really cool and interesting that this is one of the, you know, one of the closest things we've seen to real unionization within, you know, college football players. And it's it's honestly just one step towards that. There's a million other steps to go through. But we saw after one step, uh, Washington State head coach Nick Rolovich, like, literally tried to, like, kick half his players off of the team. Just for thinking about joining something that kind of resembles a union. <laughs> and this well, is the thing that about just word
3: there was Pat Fitzgerald's what what you just heard there was Pat Fitzgerald's massive erection.
4: <laughs> I saw a, uh, to see a clip and this was probably not intentional, but like on Twitter resurfaced the other day of Nick Rolovich in Hawaii, he got pissed off that some team was kicking the shit out of him, so he removed all of the benches from the sideline and made them stand for the second half. <laughs>
3: Real football guy, football guy. I was about to say these are like the NFL coaches that are like, we went one in fifteen last year, and you know what the problem was? There were ping pong tables in the break room. There's a, the, <laughs> no, it's like no, dude. Like you, you suck shit, and you're not that good at recruiting, and therefore you don't have the talent or the team to keep up with people right now. And so like, you, I, went
2: too, you went two, you would two and ten because you can't evaluate talent. That's what why. You- <laughs>
3: Yeah, I, I are we talking about Tommy Tuberville? Uh, but that 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 that's that's its own that's its own discussion. Um but no no, no Rolovich is Rolovich has I, I think shown his ass enough to where we've brought this up with the the Jeremy Pruitt stuff a lot, but um you, you really are like laying bare a lot of these college football coaches right now because some of them quite literally cannot get out of their own way. Like, like whatever has been ingrained and deep seated in them from the age of eight, that like CTE builds character or whatever, like, like, <laughs> you, you, you. Ultimately, I, I don't think are ever going to be able to like divorce that notion. And I, I think that the biggest part of this unionization stuff is you're going to have to have coach support. Like you are going to have to have the coaches across the across the teams, and especially with the head coach, because I mean, all of us growing up and living in college, like we recognize that. They're the highest paid state employee for the reason that for a reason. And they, they control the, like when Nick Saban says, wear your mask. And Nick Saban says black lives matter. Like people actually listen to it. Dumb as shit system that we've concocted here, but people actually listen to it. So like, if you have these coaches that are coming out and actually like advocating for player rights, supporting the unionization and like taking the team side against you're going to almost need the coaches to take the side against the school, too. And, like, I don't know who it's going to be done with, but, like, I would imagine you're going to have a martyr coach here or there. Like, I I imagine you are going to have a coach that, like, loses his job, not necessarily because he supports the players, but, like, going to be one of those things where, like, you can support the players, but you also uh, better win 11 games this
2: year. You can't. Yeah, it's going to be a guy, like, I'm trying to think of uh, a middle-of-the-road Team that's not who are the new Kansas State head coaches? Um, God, his name, yes, uh, Chris, Chris Kleiman yeah.
3: from uh, BSU.
2: right. So, Chris Kleiman comes out in support of you know this unionization effort, and he goes, It's still it's Kansas State, but let's say he does that, he's very vocal and he goes four and eight, and he starts the next year two and three. Uh, it, should he get fired for that? I mean, maybe he should get fired for his record, but that's not going to be. You know the the overarching reason why he got fired. Kansas State's the worst program in like major college triple history. They've had bad seasons before, but they've also never had bad seasons with a coach coming out so in support of players. Sorry, sorry, yeah, it, I fired I, you, Chris Kleiman, But
3: you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I was thinking of like a. It would be great to get a coach like on his like. Imagine if Mac Brown just like went full bore like player support or like. A guy like Chris Peterson before he left, like I, I think it he left, yeah, he right? Uh, he retired. I, okay. Okay. That's what I, I
4: just I out of it. Like he, if you read into anything in his retirement, he just got tired of dealing with the bullshit and having like constant like not that he's against it, but just like managing personalities, he just got sick of it and was like, I can't do this anymore. I need a break.
2: Yeah.
3: Ironically, I mean that could be like the old I mean Charlie Strong didn't voluntarily leave at Texas, but like everything's come out where he's like I wasn't a good coach there because I didn't know how to be the head like being the a head college football coach and being the head college football coach at the University of Texas are two very different things. Right.
0: The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet, crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships. The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to
3: search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences.
2: You're a politician. You're, you're a but, politician at, you know, these like Georgia, Texas, Alabama, Florida. You're you're, an, you're the third U.S. senator from the state.
4: And in and, terms uh, of where all this goes, right, like the way I see it, and this could be like totally wrong, but there's a shit pile of real estate between name, image, and likeness and the 50-50 revenue split, pay them exactly what the market tells them they're worth, capitalistic like view of this. And, like, where does this land in the next two to three years is going to be kind of fascinating. Like, I don't think it's ever going to be these guys are going to get paid exactly what the market tells them they're worth. I just don't think that's going to happen because the schools are obviously going to want a pretty big cut of it. And I also don't think the just, uh, like, base name, image, and likeness thing is where this stops either.
3: You know what the interesting part about it is, though? So I I think about a lot of this, uh, like, what I think coronavirus not only – Obviously, in sport, like I think sports is a large microcosm, or is a microcosm for the larger issue here. But like, it really is shifting. Over, like, like I've been thinking about like anchoring a lot, and the way that Overton windows are shifting here. Because like, let's say th- this this image and likeness stuff. I mean, this stuff has been bubbling up, and, and we, regardless of the coronavirus pandemic, I, I think we were in a timeline to where we were nearing getting the like compensation for name image, image and likeness like we had seen too many like Todd Gurley scenarios I think this stuff that was coming out with Zion like I, I think we were very slowly but like but like steadily progressing towards we are going to figure something out within the next year or two I think we've now shifted the Overton window so far to where it's like you can't claw like like Name ing- name image and likeness is now the absolute bare minimum. Like, okay, that's done, but let's start talking about like that TV deal that we know we deserve a part of. And so I don't think you'll within any reasonable timeline be able to get to that 50-50 split, but I do think you've you've shifted the Overton window so far here to where things that weren't even thought of as possible two, three, four, five years ago are now like, no, like I'm not stepping on a football field if that's right. not done.
4: All the pandemic did was use it as a springboard. Like like the players knew they had the – like the players had the power. Now they realize truly how much power they have, and they've used the pandemic as a springboard. And people hate to use the word exploit because it has such a negative connotation, but they have smartly exploited this pandemic to kind of springboard all these talks and move them up exponentially in
2: terms of pace. Exactly. And also, going back to your point, Andrew, about you know the TV deals and rep, you, you mentioned Title Nine. I don't know how all that works exactly, but I do know – the SEC has a TV deal for volleyball. Like they broadcast volleyball games on the SEC network. They, vol- they broadcast gymnastics on the SEC network. It's like even if it's a much smaller deal, well, not even if it is a much smaller deal than football, it's like those gymnasts deserve a cut of whatever you know deal that is. Those volleyball players deserve a cut. Those track athletes deserve a cut. And it's a lot smaller and it'll be interesting to see how that gets divvied up if and when that happens. But I, there is money for everyone to be made. If you are a an athlete at a division one school, you have made money. You have brought in significant revenue to your university and you deserve to be compensated for that. Hot take, I know. but
3: And this is the way that a lot of the capitalist structures work with the, the lack, I, I think it's a lot of lack of imagination right now. Like, I, I really do think, like, we fail to understand scale in terms of, like, how much money these particular institutions might generate and, like, how we've been so conditioned to the labor receiving absolutely none of it. Like, uh, the way I think of it just in, in, in a larger scale, like I don't think people necessarily like are able to easily quantify the difference between a million and a billion dollars. Like obviously one is a thousand times more than the other. But like I think people just sort of is like, oh, both of those are a lot of money and, and sort of fail to dismiss the scale here. And so if you look at a company like Nike, I don't think people seem like, like they're like they're committing human rights atrocities. They have sweatshops in China all of those things are true. And and I think they are using that as a justification to sort of uphold the capitalist structure of like, well, you can't bring that stuff back to America, or you can't produce that under ethical conditions. Because if you do, you're going to be charging $47,000 for a shoe. And like, that's what everyone says a gallon of milk is going to be $15 under socialism or whatever. But the problem is, is like, no, you could move the factories back to America. You could still charge 150 bucks for a pair of Jordans, but guess what? Phil Knight wouldn't be worth 80 billion dollars. And so like I think that's where you you fail like you can't have all of them, but the money ends up somewhere. And so where ever the money ends up with with basically creating item lines on the budget for the regular school doing all of these things like I think we're just we, – we fail to lack any sort of imagination because we've been so conditioned to all of these athletes getting treated like shit where it's like, no, shit can basically still run the same except like the – no, you know what? Nick Saban probably can't make $7.5 million a year, but guess what? I think people will still get in, into coaching if they can make a $1 million a year.
4: Yeah, and that's where you're going to run into complications, too, because the, you have two sports making all of the money, right? Like it's football that's like, I don't know, I'm not using exact percentage, here. 80%, probably college chips 20%. And the rest of these sports as a whole are losing a shit pile of money, which the original intention of college athletics a billion years ago was not to necessarily make money. So how does that get divvied up and where does like the greed factor come in? Because I feel like at a certain point, when you do start paying everyone, like you get to the point where you're like, "Hey, well, your sport is not making any money; is in fact losing money. So why am I giving you a cut of what quote my sport and I am making?" That's the part where it's going to get
2: complicated. Well, the thing is, th- well, so it's funny Rhett, when you mention that. In a way, it makes it less complicated because if you are paying someone and then you cut the sport, that's more. So- it's sort of like a business laying off an unprofitable you know, sector of, you know, their overhead, which is, it's a lot more cutthroat, but it's a lot more honest. Because right now, if you're not making any money, and you're just on scholarship in school, it's like, yeah, your scholarship is worth X amount, but you can't eat a scholarship, you know, you can't pay a bill with, you know, a tuition scholarship. Whereas if sport gets cut, that sucks. But you can also go to another school and make money playing export at that school. It's a business. It always has been. So let's start treating it like one.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think a business of all
4: time for like the higher up, it's like the per- perfect predatory capitalism, right? Everyone's making money except for the people that are actually making the money. Right.
3: <laughs> and see, I, again, I, I think the motto of this podcast should be, I don't know a lot about this, but, um, and, but with the, the way that the higher ups and a lot of these schools function, I know none of those motherfuckers are struggling to eat. Like I know that I know the chancellor at Georgia, and like I know those people make far more money than they they know what to do. Like like if you're working in university administration, you don't need to be pulling in upwards of five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm sorry. Like you might have an important important job, but like especially when we're talking about these things, what would I rather do? Be able to fund ten. 10 scholarships for athletes or cut the university of georgia's chancellor chancellor's salary in half um i think i know exactly what i'm doing like greg mcgarrity you cannot fucking tell me you deserve 1.8 million dollars a year or whatever so like i think that you you have a lot of this money that is just built into what we consider like natural overhead well like you gotta pay your athletic director two million dollars a year why why? Does he generate $2 million worth of value to this? No. Any single person that gets put in that role is going to get paid that much money just because we've said that we've deemed that they're worth it. No one needs to make that much fucking money doing that job. We
2: complain and about the thing. vast majority of oh, the right.
3: hiring and firing decisions.
4: Uh, I was just going to add real quick. Like The vast majority of them make terrible hiring and firing decisions. Yeah,
2: which is their main yeah, job. I, that, I mean, that's their actual main job is to hire and fire. <laughs> Most are not good at it.
3: I am about to say you, you you cannot. I mean, before before the last, uh, my entirety of my career at uh, like in Athens, it was it was just a race to see how quickly we could fire Greg McHarety, and now everything has been pacified because he made the Kirby Smart hire. I mean, what was his name over at um, who was at at Florida forever? Outside of literally hiring Urban Meyer, which was a slam dunk hire, he was one of the worst athletic directors of of all time. He 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 was he was the he didn't hire um Billy Donovan he was the one that ended up hiring Muschamp and McElwain. um and fucking McElwain and so I that they end up making bad decisions and still staying around forever and so I, I know I'm just piling on the athletic directors but I think that's decently representative of something that we just consider like has to happen there and also like I might be a little bit crazy here but I don't think Alabama or Georgia needs 15 analysts on their team while kids can't eat that are playing football. And so like
4: other schools can't hire that many analysts. It's not even a set number. Like the more money, the more analysts you hire. If you look at all, all field staff versus Alabama's, it's ridiculous.
3: And that's my problem here too, is what I sure as shit know is, They're not turning off the private donation faucet in any sort of world where they might start paying the players. So, like, why can't you mend those gaps there? Every single school tries to pimp out their fucking athletic fund to build whatever they need. Why can't that just be used to cover administrative costs if the revenue coming in is covering actual the labor that is producing the product?
4: Uh, uh, uh. And real quick, I would be remiss if I didn't mention while we talked about athletic directors that Ross Bjork oversaw and mismanaged the strategy against CNCA, hired Matt Luke, and parlayed that
2: into the AM athletic director job. Of, that reminds me of three separate points I want to make. Number one, it's the, the money is always there and has always been there. I remember Georgia fans begged for ye- like a decade plus. Please give us an indoor practice facility. Please, please. And they're like, ah, oh, we can't do it. And then Kirby Smart shows up, and like in 48 hours, there's like $20 million pledged.
3: 30, $32 million. You know who made it happen? Jeremy that's fucking the, Pruitt.
2: There's 32
3: He says, "I'm not recruiting to this scrub ass school where we have to drive to Flowery Branch every time it rains."
2: (laughs) Thirty million dollars. Yeah, thirty
3: million million on the drop of a hat. And you, so I I don't mean to cut you off, KP. Do you know how insane it is? Too, they spent extra millions of dollars because they had to dig the practice facility into the actual like like fifteen feet into the earth because they didn't want it being the tallest building on campus. That's the type of money that we're talking about here They literally have that type of, They have fucking millions of dollars of excavator money and Then uh,
2: My next point is that um, we, we complain about the rules It's like we can't do that Because of these rules When we wrote the rule book it's like, <laughs> it's like We are completely in charge of the rule book And how we implement it How we interpret it and everything And it's like we can also change the rule book guys it, We wrote it We have the deed to the house, everything we have complete ownership of this whole operation. We just don't fix it because we just don't feel like it. So,
3: yeah, I mean, it, it's a completely self created problem. And again, tying, I think, to the two points together, like it's just been people that have been conditioned to making a lot of money on large profit margins, not wanting to give up those profit margins. And, like, I mean, from, I, I don't want to say I understand or I empathize because I try to operate almost like antithetically to that. But like, I think that you just have greedy people who are finally, people are saying you don't get to be greedy anymore. And now we are in that like tumultuous, like push and pull battle of, all right, where does the dust settle with this?
2: And in
4: the short term just like so like obviously they the Pac-12 the this union or whatever you want to call it it's basically like a union movement like they basically said they aren't going to play the season if the demands aren't met and while i think in the long term you're seeing where this is going and the players have power but it does seem like in the short term that the schools could just call their bluff and be like all right like fuck it we're not having a season and that to me in the short term would work in the detriment of the player. So it's kind of this fascinating blend here to where we all know where this is going. Like they're going to end up getting paid, but in the short term, like as far as like these demands go, they could call their bluff on this very easily.
3: So something, so I think we saw that Mike, Micah Parsons, right before we started recording the DN from Penn state, he announced that he was not playing this season. And then the big wide receiver from uh, Minnesota. I saw uh, those were like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, those are the two big names that I've seen up to this point. Where it's like those are those are people that people want to see play that aren't going to be able to play. But I mean, this is a uniquely fucked up part about college sports, though. Is the schools understand? Like, I'm literally staring right now at a University of Georgia painting, and so like, I went to the University of Georgia. Like, I didn't go to the university of Todd Gurley. And so like they've created these conditions where like it sucks because even a guy like Micah Parsons is doing what is best for him, but people aren't necessarily mad that Micah Parsons is sitting out. They are mad that the person replacing Micah Parsons isn't as good as he is. Like, so the the weird thing is, is like, I don't, all the players i feel like need to sit out here to where it would devalue the product enough to where fans won't watch or be like viscerally angry with like i'm not watching high school football because the problem is you have one or two guys sit out here and there even if they're even if they are very good very valuable players every college sports fan just the way that they have been conditioned and everything is they are a fan of the team almost no matter what. And so like we've trained this next man up mentality to like not even care if someone sits out. Like it's uniquely like I'm complicit in it, but like it's uniquely fucked up in a way that it removes the leverage from the player in a lot of these scenarios.
4: It's the reason college hoops is never fully going away as a viable sport because no matter how much top talent goes to the NBA, college basketball fans root for the school. Like it's probably good. Sixth most popular sport in the American sports landscape, but it's still going to always be viable because no matter who's in the uniform, I mean, it could be me, and we all know the history of that. But people would still root for it. So,
3: like, we need to tell that story on on an upcoming podcast. (laughs) But no, yeah, no, you're 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 totally right. I mean, you the amount of the amount of dog shit college basketball that i've watched in my life like you cannot tell me that you you could devalue that product by five or ten more percent and i wouldn't continue to watch what do you like i watched the nba and then i i've, I've stopped watching it a little bit but like i will tur- I, I spent disposable income to watch georgia basketball games this year like that is fucking insane yeah. like that is the dumbest. Shit. but it's also like you know what if Anthony Edwards wasn't there that year this year I still would watch Georgia basketball and so like they they really do I want them to do what is best for them because ultimately like if Micah Parsons doesn't have to get coronavirus and he can keep his NFL stock up like I want what is best for him I want what is best for all of these players but I think their strength really right now is going to come in numbers and saying like no none of us because I think Nick Rolovich can get away with one or two players not playing. Nick Rolovich cannot keep his job, unless, or Nick Rolovich has one of two options if his entire team says he's not playing. He th- he either goes and looks like a dickhead and takes a public battle against a bunch of 19-year-olds who aren't getting paid, or he then co-ops the movement and actually uses his privilege as a shield against what the NCAA is trying to do.
4: And do y'all think this is any way related to why the spring season, why they don't really want that? Because to your point, if you go into the spring, there's going to be enough top talent to say, I don't need this. I'm just going to prepare for the draft. Like what are the odds Trevor Lawrence plays a college football game if it were in the I, spring? I'm going to say
2: the, Yeah. I think it's what's very interesting is that you know? we see guys like Michael Parsons, you know, opting out, Rashad Bateman opting out. Those guys, I mean, their future is sealed. You know, they like, – but Rashad Bateman was probably a top two round pick regardless of what happened this season, barring catastrophic injury. Michael Parsons is probably a top 10 pick, you know, whatever happened this season. I think the only guys you will see play are guys who, you know, let's say it's a it's a junior who may be fringe getting drafted or maybe a junior who came back to improve draft stock. You know, a guy like Devontae Smith at Alabama, for example, he may not play, but he only came back to improve his draft stock uh, because he wasn't. I mean, he, he broke the Alabama record for receiving touchdowns in a game. It's a school that's produced Julio Jones and Amari Cooper. He bro- he broke that record. Uh, so I, I think it's very interesting to see who plays because it's all based on draft stock. It's obviously no one wants to get hurt, but it's like, you know, what does Michael Parsons have to prove in college anymore? He's already like the second or third best linebacker in the country, and he's nineteen.
3: Yeah, and, and we've talked about this with. Like Leonard Fournette and uh, like Jadavian Clowney, like the top pros- prospects whose, whose draft stock is sealed no matter what, it almost behooves them anyway to not play another season of college football. Like you're taking less hits on your legs. You're, you are, I mean, there is a reason why people take out insurance policies before their junior year to literally protect themselves against. I mean, I know Todd Gurley had one that paid him out if he would have dropped out of the first round. I think Tua may have had one that would have done the same thing. And so, you, you have these players where the the big names aren't going to be the ones getting affected but the big names are going to be the ones that like they are immune to all of this stuff happening right now because if you are a guy that is going that, that has an NFL team that's going to pay you multiple millions of dollars a year it doesn't matter what you do in your last year of college football it's those it, it's the the fringe guys that are are because Even some of the walk ons, I don't think anyone is actually going to do this, but like you could have guys that recognize, like, all right, I don't really have a future outside of me really wanting to play college football. Maybe this is no longer worth it. And so, like, I really do feel bad for those guys where it's like, I might have a shot to make a career off of football, but like now I have to factor in is that worth potentially getting like a life changing disease for?
4: No. (laughs) Is that. a lot of times, no. uh, yeah, but a lot of times these kids are 19 years old and like I if we think back where you were at nineteen years old, decision making not always um, And that's the thing oh, I'd
2: having other people spit in my yeah. Mouth it's like it. what do you what would you rather what what would you rather get if you're a guy I'm trying to think of a rising junior who's like at the top of draft boards. Like Trevor if you're Trevor Lawrence, what would you rather have? Would you rather, you know, have a sprained knee that that you get in week two or get coronavirus? He'd probably take coronavirus right now.
4: Yeah, that's the thing is like the what gets lost in when the argument, like the often nauseating discourse about what's safest and what's best, is like despite in the I guess sometimes flying in the face of sound decision making, these 19 year old kids that all they've done is play football their whole life, like breaking news, really want to play football and may not actually fully weigh the risk when they make the decision. Because, you know, they're 19.
3: Yeah, and, and I, I think what is um I think Amanda Mull made a good point about this on Twitter the other day that I, I think the, the Pac-12, I like a lot. Just I like that the Pac-12 is the one that is spearheading a lot of this because the way that their school schedule functions, like they don't start school until September mm-hmm. or so. Like like normally the the, the way the, no, the quarter functions. system. Right. And so. I, I think so, I, I think a lot of schools out there are. And so when, when you give yourself at least another three or four weeks before like you were, I I know some of the football players are forced to be back on campus, but like it gives you a little bit more time, I think, to organize a lot of this as opposed to some of these SEC schools that are starting up back relatively soon. And uh, Amanda's point was uh, a lot of the people that work in the Northeast right now are conditioned to think that we have three or four more weeks to put in coronavirus protections for school while the school I work at literally is starting tomorrow
2: our high school started yesterday yesterday, Andrew
3: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and so and so I I think that it's nice having players that are going to be given a little bit more time to be able to plan some of the logistics about this because a lot of this I mean unionization is organization like you need to give this a little bit of time to be able to I, I think Fester gives the word to, the, the wrong manifest. I, I guess you will. Um, but what, what is really going back to what I was saying earlier, I think the largest point of sort of legitimacy that you're going to need or recognition is you're going to need real coaches on this staff. And it might not even have to start with the coach. Like I guarantee you if Joe Brady would have come out in large support of the players, he wouldn't have been able like, like I, I feel like I'm talking in circles here, but the, Biggest thing I think any of these players can do right now is come public with everything. Like, you possess the leverage in a public forum. We've talked about this with Chuba and Mike Gundy, but like, leak everything to the media. Le- put everything out in public because you now have a large enough following to where, like, even it, like, like you having the public on your side is going to help you in this discourse
4: and would it would I, I always just think about like what if there was another league in the sense like the Pac-12 is kind of spearheading this whole movement would it carry more weight if it were the SEC because you kind of know the Pac- state of Pac-12 athletics west coast a lot of other shit going on like can you imagine if this 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 united I, i'm Butch- I should Google this because I'm butchering the name over and over again. But if this movement union had started in the Southeastern Conference with a bunch of players from Auburn and Alabama, I feel like-, like, I feel like that would make way more uh, way more of a
2: splash. It's on its way for sure, I feel like. I, I don't think you know the Pac-12 is going to be the only conference that comes out with one of these things. I mean, these players all talk to – they know each other. They talk to each other. They've done seven-on-seven seven in all these camps from when they were 13 going on. So it's it, – if like, let's say stars at Alabama and Auburn, Georgia, even places like Clemson, Florida state, like those conversations are probably already starting. It's just, you know, whether or not they fear the wrath of their coach a little bit more.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think that we've gotten to a point where we're kind of just talking in circles a little bit. And so that might be kind of a good, good place to, to close it out. But like the, the biggest, the biggest, factor here for I think the efficacy of college football I think the only way we actually have a college football season this year is if the administrations and the coaching staffs take this seriously enough to actually protect these players and still we might not even because I I think their 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 uh their modus operandi up to this point has essentially been no we're going to bury we're going to we're going to bury our heads in the sand and we are going to push this forward because we have the leverage and what are you going to do about it now i think you have legitimate players saying fuck that i'm sitting out i'm not doing this anymore and so i think the only way like my brother thinks the only way the nfl happens this year is if the mlb gets canceled and they actually have to look and say we need to put in real protections and a real plan in place and so like i think the only way that the that college football happens this year is if they recognize that like this is not something that you can just like sweep these are not off season arrest allegations you can just sweep under the rug and push through. Like you need a real competent plan. And that plan is going to look something like has never operated in college football before. Be-
2: before we go, um I-, I see on Twitter like literally two minutes ago, I think, well within the last ten minutes, um the Big Ten players published a piece on the players Tribune. Uh, titled Big Ten United, and it's basically a list of demands. I'm not going to list every single one, just the main points. Uh, they, uh, The unity proposal is based on protecting the well-being of all athletes, and it's based on oversight, prevention and safety protocols, testing, contact tracing, and related procedures, player assurances, and hazard-related economic support. The second major conference domino has fallen, and it kind of makes sense that it's a Pac-12 sister conference that did it.
4: And I haven't seen it yet, obviously. I'm just going based on what you heard, but it sounds like it's a more uh, palatable uh, version of it, like it doesn't get into more of like the long-term revenue sharing stuff. It's actually like, I don't want to say more practical because that discounts the Pac-12 being like the first to do it, but it seems like it's more immediate stuff. It's it's mostly
2: COVID. Obviously, you know, a lot of it is economics, such as, you know, preserving scholarships, um, even it's tough as, you know, detailed as complimentary access to the big 10 network, um, for family members and athletes. You know, that stuff may seem small, but it's like, if your mom lives, you know, a state and a half away and she comes to every game, she won't be able to do that this year. So yeah, it's small stuff like that, more palatable and definitely more easily accepted. That's what happens when Ohio is in your conference. Um, but, (laughs) but that's, uh, so that's that folks, you got anything else? Uh,
3: The, the last, I mean, it's all, it's all related in like, like in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement, the proper coronavirus protections, the fact that this podcast is the only ethical consumption under capitalism, like all, all of these things are like kind of tied into one. And so like, uh, ultimately like the advocate, like the, the, the player advocacy, like what I hope it basically starts is the players realizing the autonomy and the power that they have and essentially saying like the things we want to push forward and push through, we can push through. If we want to change social issues, if we want to change social conversations, if we want to get more protection, if we want to get health care, if we want to message about this, like we can do that because we hold the power in all of these cities and all of these towns and at these universities. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I got. Um other than that, uh rippy what's what's good with you?
4: Not much, moving to Dallas in a week. That's yeah. about uh that's about it. So, I'm trying to yeah. My- yeah. We got
3: yeah. some big moves on the banjo
4: horizon. That's right. You're going to New York, I'm headed to Texas. Yeah. It's have, uh, uh U-Haul season.